Take your Bibles or smartphones or the Bible that's uh, perhaps under the chair there. If you'd find Mark chapter 15, we're going to begin reading verses 33 through 36 here in just a moment. Continuing our series. Now, if you're here for the first time, this is a fourth and a seven service series that we've got, but uh, uh, have no fear. Hopefully that uh, all of it is a lesson unto itself, but as we look at the seven words of Jesus from the cross. But we appreciate you being here today. We're, we're glad that you're here as well. Listen, let me just take a moment of opportunity to say we're glad to have uh, uh, Gus, Malcolm, and his wife Emily are sitting right over here. We'll let you just wave or something. Let them know where you are. They, Gus officially begins next Sunday as the new college minister for Parkway Baptist Church. We appreciate him being here. And uh, he's so eager. Be, he's come the Sunday before he starts. He's here not even getting paid. Man, listen, that's impressive and appreciate him being here. Although Bobby Jones is on vacation and he's here today. So also, so, and Dick with baptism. We're just impressed with all of our staff. Jennifer actually did music this morning. Everybody, I hadn't done anything special, but here I am. Here we are. We're ready today. And uh, appreciate... Uh, yeah, you put it up a little bit if you've walked in any of our hallways, particularly over here. You see we're doing some refurbishing that's taking place. So appreciate you kind of hopefully not too inconvenient uh, for you. And uh, hopefully indication that good things are happening. We've got several uh, projects we're going to be having in the next few months. There'll be some uh, refurbishing, construction things that will be taking place. And appreciate the church's good giving. Also, hopefully reflection how the Lord is working on us and you know, everybody's talking about getting back to where we were a couple of years ago. We want to move forward, and that's what we're seeking to do. And want the Lord to continue to work on us so that we might uh, be in purpose and direction and moving forward as the Lord would have us to do today. Well, this morning we are in Mark, uh, Mark chapter 15, and we'll be reading verses 33 through 36 uh, as we continue this series that we're working on today. And uh, this series is. Uh, Seven words from the cross, seven worship services. We're concluding on Good Friday and hopefully a time and a good place for you to be able to not only want to be here, but it's a good time to invite people. And especially with Easter and Resurrection Sunday, more people will respond and want to be back in the Lord's house. So you want to come and be a part as well. Uh, Mark chapter 15, verse 33. This now is the word of God. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Elo, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone read and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. Now may the Lord bless the reading of his holy word. Notice that verse 37 there. It says, and Jesus uttered, a loud cry and breathed his last. Now we know the details of what took place on the cross because of all four Gospels. And so this is the fourth word from the cross. And so between verse 36 and verse 37, I believe that uh, Jesus spoke three more words from the cross that we'll be talking about in the weeks to come as well. I, uh, I read an article recently about an uh, elderly woman who lived in South Florida and uh, her her house had been hit by a hurricane like a, little peop- a lot of people's had and wasn't totally gone but been devastated pretty good. And so uh, insurance gave, uh, gave her money in order to be able to finish the house, but uh, contractors got busy on it. But the money ran out before the contractors got finished. So when the money ran out, the contractors ran out as well. And so she's been living in this house with no electricity, unfinished house and uh, 
But what really caught my attention about this particular story is that the hurricane that she endured was not Irma, it was not Katrina, it was not Opal, uh, it was not Ivan. Some of you won't even remember that it was Hurricane Andrew that hit the house in 1992 and she had been living in this unfinished house with no electricity for years and years. And all she had, she had one lamp that she would burn, one lantern and uh, some kind of burner that she had in order to be able to get by. But nobody noticed. None of her neighbors noticed that it was. But through a tip, the uh, mayor of Miami-Dade County got involved. It took only a few hours and less than a day until they turned the lights on. Electricity had been turned back on. CBS News says Narita plans to let the water get really, really hot in the first time in many, many years. She's going to take a long bubble bath. And uh, uh, I... She said this, uh, said, it's hard to describe having the lights and the electricities to switch on. It's overwhelming. Now, what Jesus did for us on the cross is so that we might not have to be alone or live in darkness or in despair any longer. He suffered on our behalf so that we might not have to endure despair. There, there are people who have gone through some dark times, some physically dark times, some spiritually, and they've just stayed right there living in darkness. But Jesus offers hope. He endured the darkness, despair, and the, and the despair on our behalf so that we would not have to. Now, here we're in the Gospel of Mark, and Mark, maybe more so than the other Gospels, he's a little bit of a timekeeper for us. So if you've got your Bibles open, you might notice in verse 1, it talks about when at daylight or when daybreak, when it began, since the uh, first hour of the day would have been six hour, at 6 o'clock in the morning. So at 6 o'clock in the morning when he was brought before Pilate for one of his trials, Third hour, verse 25 says, or 9 a.m., he was led to Golgotha and placed on the cross. Verse 33, we read a moment ago, it was high noon when there was darkness came over the whole land. And then it was dark until 3 p.m. So for three hours from noon until 3, there was darkness over the whole land. Jesus remained silent. Now we're talking about Jesus' words from the cross. He was on the cross for six hours from 9 to 12. He said the first three words from the cross. And then... Toward the very end of the time in which he was on the cross before he breathed his last, he said these last of the four, last four words, fourth word that we're talking about. And each gospel writer wrote to a slightly different group. Mark was likely writing perhaps to Jews who lived abroad, maybe particularly who lived in Rome, maybe who were not there, but they had heard rumors about and they and they wanted to know the truth. And so Mark writes in order to be able to set the record straight. Maybe with an, as, he, as he writes the times in this particular that, he's writing so that they might understand the authenticity of this event. Now, we're continuing to use this series, Seven Words and Seven Services, so that we might prepare. So it's a day of preparation. Now, not just for what's off, but preparation for today. We are preparing for Resurrection Sunday. We're preparing to fight the good fight if we're going to move forward. We're going to fight the good fight as Paul talked about, exemplified in how to do that in Jesus and the prepare for victory. Victory that's already been assured because of what Jesus Christ has offered for us. So you're encouraged to come anticipating, even now, the words of Jesus and a word from the Lord and also good time to be able to invite others as well. Seventh and final word will be on that Good Friday on April the 15th. Encourage you to come be a part of that. We'll be partaking of the Lord's Supper, part of our... Celebration week. Uh, this morning we read and focus 
On the darkness at noon, in this fourth word from the cross, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We're going to ask some basic questions here about this, like, what did Jesus mean by these words on the cross? Well, of course, it's a question if we're going to talk about that. But, uh, but we say it like that because it seems out of character for Jesus on this fourth word. Now, consider the very first word, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. After all, Jesus is in the forgiving business and he's praying that uh, those and us that we all might be forgiven. And then we find Jesus on the cross with the thief next to him on the cross and, and, uh, and said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Well, he's in the heaven giving business. So he's witnessing, being a living witness and bringing people to heaven with him. That seems in character. Last week we talked about when Jesus saw his mother and he said, woman, behold thy son. Speaking of John, he's taking care of his mother. And we saw love caring for others. Well, that seems in character. But here we have this particular saying of Jesus, and it seems a little bit out of character. Now consider when Jesus was born that there was a great light. There was the, uh, there was the star that shone, great light around the shepherds that were near Bethlehem. And, uh, and it signified the birth of the Savior. But here we have an extraordinary Darkness that signified his death. Now, darkness we find in the scripture is often a symbol of judgment. Isaiah 31.10, I don't think it's in your notes, but it says, it speaks about a day of judgment. It says, the stars of heaven and their constellations will not shine their light, the prophet says. The rising sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. Now, the particular phenomenon that took place has been described as anything from a solar eclipse to dust cloud to maybe just really dark clouds, but it was none of these. It was a supernatural phenomenon that took place. It was an unexplainable phenomenon triggered by the hand of God. Symbolic of the sadness of the event that Jesus had to take all of our sins upon himself. Also reminded us that creation, all of creation, obeys God. Well, except us. I mean, we're the ones who have the choice so that we might be able to have a Real relationship, but there's a lesson there unto itself. The extent of the darkness has been debated. We read a moment ago, it says, over all of the land. Well, was it over just Palestine? Was it over the whole earth? Writings of the early fathers certainly seem to indicate that it was over much more than the land of Palestine, if not over all of the earth. The Greek word that is used there for the word land Sometimes translated, maybe in your translation, as the word earth in verse 33. If it were written in English letters, it would be written by two letters, G and E. Now, when I think of G-E, I still think of light bulbs. So it could be understand here that it was darkness, some, uh, even over all of G-E. I just want to emphasize here that there was total darkness over all of the land, over all of the earth. Supernatural phenomenon from noon until three because of the wrath of God being poured out on the innocent Son of God. And we read all four Gospels, we find the seven sayings of Jesus. Six of the seven sayings are found in Luke and John. Matthew and Mark only write about one of the sayings, this one, and it seems to be one of those hardest to understand. So why would Jesus say these words? There are a couple of common understandings or interpretations about these words of Jesus from the cross. And the first one, probably that's most accepted, and you can follow along in your notes, that Jesus was totally abandoned on the cross, even by the Heavenly Father. 
Now, this is a widely accepted interpretation. God the Father could not be with the Son when He suffered the sins of the world. I mean that God cannot look, or cannot look, and could not look on sin. Now, as, as I read that and understand to look at all the Bible, a couple of questions that I have. Keep in mind that this word from Jesus may not have a simple meaning, may be some mysteries even involved, but... Unlike the third word from the cross, when, when Jesus cared for his mother, we know that these words spoke of love and compassion. We should show the same for others. We may not be able to oversimplify this fourth word of Jesus by saying God could not be with Jesus or look on sin. For one thing, I'll admit to you, because we all have if we're believers in the Lord, that, well, I'm a sinner. And Jesus, the Lord looked upon my sin. Now, I understand that now that I'm a, a regenerated believer, I've been redeemed, I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. But we find throughout the Bible that and throughout history, God has chosen to deal with sinners and many of those who've never repented. Also, just keeping these things in mind, they're a little bit bigger, at least than my mind can comprehend. Jesus said he and the Father are one. And at the Last Supper, the night before Jesus was crucified, Jesus said these words in John 16, 32. But a time is coming, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered each to his own home, and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. Jesus also never stopped being God. Well, did the Heavenly Father leave Jesus? There's a verse in Habakkuk that says, Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong talking about, about God. It is not that God cannot look on sin. He is omniscient. He knows all things. But it is that God cannot overlook sin. And while we see this passage, he sees evil, must do something about it, we understand that's what's happening here. There is no other place in the Bible to where it explicitly says the Father could not be with the Son or He forsook the Son. We may picture darkness as God's back turning on the cross. But there's an Old Testament picture. Many of us know this Old Testament picture of Abraham when he was asked to sacrifice his son Isaac on the altar and he's ready to sacrifice his son at God's request, but God stops him at the last minute and provides another sacrifice. In truth, Jesus is the other sacrifice. He's the only perfect sacrifice. Now, that's the more likely picture. That's the biblical picture. The Father laying the death blow or judgment on Jesus with his own hand. For the Bible says God laid the iniquity of all people in the world on Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that's a prettier picture. In fact, we find we look at the cross, it's a pretty messy spectacle. But it's biblical. So which is the, which is the tougher picture? The father abandoning the son or the father administrating his wrath and judgment on the son? Can I... Can I blow your mind just a little bit more? God felt his own wrath. God the Father also watched his wrath being poured out on his own son. Now, it's one thing as a parent to endure some suffering or go through some tough times, but how much more, how much tougher it is to watch your own child go through agony. And our Lord did both. Now, the timing is significant. This is the ninth hour today, three o'clock in the afternoon. It's the time for the evening or the afternoon sacrifice in the Jewish faith. And Jesus has been on the cross for six hours. And this is the first time that he cries out for himself. I mean, when they 
arrested him and all the disciples fled. He said not a word. He was spat upon, nothing was said. When he was whipped with a cat of nine towels, beaten and a crown of thorns was placed upon his head, he did not cry out. When he was nailed to the cross, there was no complaint. But when he realizes and he fails divine judgment, he cries out unto the Father. Consider for just a moment, the sins of the world were placed on Jesus. We often talk about the physical pain that Jesus endured. In fact, preachers talk more about the physical pain that Jesus endured, even more so than the Bible, because the Bible enhances the fact that he took on all the sins, all the sins of the world on himself in one heap. Think of all the murder and the idolatry and the dishonesty and the covetousness and the jealousy and the hatred and the anger and the strife and the envy and the gossip and the backbiting, all put on one without spot or blemish. Jesus felt the result of judgment of all sin for the whole world. And he cries out in despair. And what does he use to cry out in despair? He uses the first sentence of a psalm, Psalm 22. A second common understanding of Jesus' words. Jesus was simply quoting scripture for encouragement and as an example. So what did Jesus mean? Did Jesus feel alone and dejected? No doubt. And he not only fulfilled Psalm 22, but he quoted it. Perhaps as part of his despair and also a reminder of the Heavenly Father's goodness. And maybe for comfort. Uh, this past Thursday, there's chapel for our Parkway Preschool on Thursday. It's about 150 preschoolers that come in here on Thursday. And, and uh, so they all are coming out this week. And I happen to be passing them in the hallway. And, and as I do, they're all yelling, hey, Brother Jeff. And I always feel bad because the teachers are always telling them to be quiet. And I'm making them be louder. But as they come through, and I, I say, how's chapel? Oh, great. We had a great chapel. What's the best song that you sing? And one little girl immediately said, Jesus loves me. Another little girl said, we didn't sing Jesus Loves Me Today. And, uh, uh, but it's still a good song. And they all know the song. We all know the song. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. In fact, all you have to really say is the beginning, the first line of it. And we all know, you know, we all know the rest of it. Psalm 22, what is it? it it's a song. In fact, it's a song that they all would know. All the Jewish people would know. They would sing it, uh, and they would know it as well as we know Psalm 23, or as well as we know Jesus loved me. And if you said the first line, and Jesus did, it invokes the entire messianic psalm because it's about Jesus. Let's take a look at it. You don't have to go to it. I think we're going to put it on the screen. Psalm 22, verses 1 and 2 says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is what Jesus said. Why are you so far from saving me from the world, words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. Beginning of that psalm. If you've been reading in our 100 psalms, or if you've read it before, you discovered lots of the psalms begin in a little bit of distress. And then as you read most of these psalms, they then begin to how that distress is to turn into trust in the Lord. And that's what's happening in this Psalm 22. Verses 3 through 5 says this. It says, Jesus, it's about Jesus, but it said, Yet you are holy and thrown on the praises in Israel, and you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued, and you they trusted, and you were not uh, put to shame. He, he's reminded, as Jesus quoted at least the first part of this psalm, some have said that he, we, those who are listening could only hear the first sign, and then they, 
Perhaps he quoted the whole thing, but he's reminded that others have trusted in God and that he is holy. Verses, skip down verses 16 through 18 says this. For dogs encompassed me and a company of evildoers encircles me. Did I mention this is a messianic psalm? It's about Jesus. They've pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. It's a psalm by David written a thousand years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And yet it attributes the facts of what happened on the cross and the events. Verses 19 and verse 24 says, But you, O Lord, be not far off, O my strength, come quickly to help me. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he's not hidden his face from him, but he has heard when he cried to him. Jesus was referencing that the Father was not far. And this was an expression that through these events, victory would be won. Was Jesus quoting scripture and referencing prophecy and provision? Yes, he was. But was it that simple? Probably not. Here's a better understanding, biblical understanding, I believe. Jesus' feelings of abandonment, abandonment and despair were very real. and helps us when we are in despair. Now, if you believe the Heavenly Father turned His back and was separated from the Son for a time, that's okay. Lots of good people certainly have this understanding. Some of the great ones like uh, Martin Luther and John Calvin seem to indicate the same, and so we don't dismiss this notion. If you believe that Jesus was simply quoting Scripture for encouragement and help, that's okay. And both could be true. The fact that Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice for us is not in question. Writer of Hebrews, Hebrews 10.10 says this. It says, And by that, by God's will, you have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Now, there's some mysteries sometimes in Scripture. And this is one of those that those are not quite as easy to understand. Some people present at the cross missed it altogether and they were there. And they either misunderstood what Jesus said or they were deliberately distorting what was said. They thought he's calling for Elijah. At least that's what they said because of the belief that Elijah was going to return. Why these words in Aramaic? Now, if you've read the New Testament, you know, every now and then they'll quote something. I mean, of course they didn't say it in English. But then but the gospel writer will say it and write it in Hebrew sometimes and sometimes in Aramaic. And... You wonder why that is. But it could be so. Mark's writings, writing to Jewish brethren, knows Hebrew and Aramaic, and, and he wants them, and, and by the way, he wants us also to be able to hear the syllables and the vowels and get the grasp of what's being said. Eloi, Eloi, Lama, Sabachthani. Who knows if I said it correctly. But it's also said, so that we might be able to understand the next couple of verses. For they misunderstood and they thought that he might be calling for Elijah because it was prophesied that Elijah would come and prepare the way before the Messiah. But many of you know who was the fulfillment of Elijah. Well, Jesus told us it was John the Baptist. But everyone wants to see the spectacular. We'd love to see the spectacular. So they, they brought him wine vinegar to drink. Now, if they brought him just vinegar, that'd just been a cruel joke. 
But wine vinegar would have been a cheap drink maybe that one of the soldiers might have had or maybe one of the Jewish common workers might have brought from home. And while it was not cruel, it probably was not merciful because the most merciful thing to do would not be to do something that would prolong the person being executed, but instead would give them nothing would be the merciful thing to do so that they might more quickly pass out or become unconscious. Then they said, let him alone now and let's see if Elijah will come and help. Boy, wouldn't that be something. Maybe more of a taunt, but with a sense of, let's see something spectacular. If it's true, let's see if Elijah would come. Wouldn't that be something? But there's irony to their taunts. You remember John the Baptist, when he came and he witnessed for Jesus, he said, behold, this is the Messiah who comes to take away the sins of the world. And he was jailed and he was beheaded. For while there were many that followed John the Baptist, there were many others who did not, mostly the religious leaders and those who were political leaders. They refused to hear or see the truth. They, they mockingly said that they wanted to see the spectacular and that seeing is believing. But those who wanted to see the spectacular and believe that seeing is believing were really blind and would have stayed blind because they refused to have genuine faith. What, what's our definition of faith or maybe our result of faith? Hebrews Chapter 11, verse 1, substance of things, hope for the evidence of things not seen. Do we really have to see to believe or will we believe even if we don't see? Will this be the hill or faith in Christ on which we will stand no matter what? Because I think you really need to watch out for the maybe faith or the just in case faith. I plan to come to church every now and then. I plan to give an offering when I can, just in case it might be true. There are people sitting in pews serving in churches today who served not because they really believe no matter what, but they serve just in case. The problem is that God knows our hearts and those who have a maybe faith will be left in despair and never know the delight of the assurance in a God who will never fail us. Remember, what Jesus is giving you is something different from insurance. It's something different from liability just in case something happens. It's assurance because, believe me, something's going to happen. You ever, uh, you ever feel misunderstood? I do sometimes, sometimes standing right here in this pulpit, and I'm wondering today, maybe, perhaps. But uh, particularly as we were growing up, or some of you who are youth and uh, children, sometimes you think nobody understands me. My parents don't understand me. My teachers don't understand me. Nobody's gone through what I've gone It's not until maybe you become an adult to where you realize, oh, maybe they understood more than I thought they did. Maybe because they've been through something similar. As parents tried to guide their children through tough times, so Jesus speaks to guide all of us, no matter what your age, because He has been through despair from the human side though never losing his divinity. Despair is feeling that no one understands, no one cares, maybe not even God, wanting maybe even to give up. And most people go through some kind of despair. Listen, how do these events in Jesus' life help us to overcome despair? We've got five things. We're going to hit them kind of quickly here. Biblical ways in which what Jesus is saying to us and help us to overcome despair. The first one is this. Don't waste time blaming others or God. Don't waste time blaming others or God. Uh, 
John Maxwell, Christian writer and pastor and speaker, said if people are grumpy and someone asks why, they'll say, well, I got up on the wrong side of the bed. When failure begins to plague their lives, they'll say, well, I got up, I was born on the wrong side of the tracks. When life begins to flatten out and others begin to succeed and you're not, well, I was on the wrong birth order in my family. When their marriage has failed, they married the wrong person. When someone else gets a promotion they wanted, it's because they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. People blame everyone, including God, for their problems. And Jesus was not blaming the Father. To always blame someone or bad circumstances or to blame God leads to a bad attitude. You may truly find yourself in a situation through no fault or no making of your own. Or you may be in a situation to where it is because of some bad choices or because of sin or something that needs to change in your life. But your attitude and your outlook makes all the difference. Jesus wants you and I to stop looking around at someone to blame and start looking up at who the writer of Hebrews calls the author and perfecter of our faith. Jesus is our best example of a God-centered attitude. Also, number two, this is a temporary situation. Whatever we're going through now is temporary. It will not last. Some of you have been reading through the Psalms and our 100 days of Psalms and Proverbs. We might remember that you might have come across this verse where it says, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Or to where the psalmist wrote, Oh, my soul, why be so gloomy and discouraged? Trust in God, I shall again praise Him for His wondrous help. He will make me smile again, for He is my God. Even if your time of despair does not change and it lasts the entirety of your days here on earth, it is but a small, minute time compared to eternity. Paul was sure to tell us in Romans chapter 8 and verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Jesus went through the greatest despair on heaven or on earth, but three days later He arose assuring us the victory that whatever we go through today is but temporary. Number three, God can accomplish His will in and through you. God can accomplish His will in and through you. Just as the will of God was done on the cross... God's purposes will continue to be accomplished in your life. That is, that He desires you to become more and more like Jesus. That is, that He can use whatever you're going through for kingdom purposes and so that you might be able to have influence on others and you might be a living, breathing testimony to the world. You need to know this. God's personal will does not automatically happen in your life. Now let's make a distinction there, there's First of all, there's God's providential will. And that is that there are, go, there are things that are going to happen regardless. It's going to take place. We knew Jesus was going to die on the cross. Three days later, he rose again. We know that uh, 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 the church is going to continue to grow. We know that the presence of the church will always be here. We know that Jesus is going to come again. We know that the gospel will continue to be shared. These are things that are going to continue regardless. It's part of His providential will. And then there's moral will. These are the things that we know that we should be doing because the Bible tells us we're to love God and we're to love others. Follow the Ten Commandments. Live by the Golden Rule. Follow the Sermon on the Mount. Follow all of Jesus' teachings. You don't even have to pray about these things. I mean, you should pray that the Lord will help you to do these things, but whether, they should, whether we should do them or not, we don't have to pray for. So that's God's providential will. That's moral will. And then there's God's personal will. 
That is God's plan and purpose that God has for your life. Personally, for you and no one else. This doesn't happen automatically. Until you submit to following and seeking Jesus. If you'll turn your despair over to Him, God will. His will shall be accomplished during, through, and after your struggle. Number four, call on God through prayer and scripture. Call on God through prayer and scripture. Jesus did both in this event, in these words, in one sentence, called him to the Heavenly Father using scripture. By the way, that's not a bad practice in your prayer time to think of the scripture. If you want to lift up praise to God, oh Lord, you're my rock and my redeemer, the psalmist said, in asking forgiveness. Lord, you said that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to cleanse us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Uh, Lord, help me to be kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving, just as I've been forgiven in Christ. Use scripture in prayer like Jesus did. I, I can't overemphasize the importance of staying connected to God through reading the Bible and spending adequate prayer in every season of your life, particularly in despair. And then number five, compare your despair to Jesus. Compare your despair to Jesus. Now, I don't mean just in the fact that didn't he go through a lot more than you did. Because when you go through something, it, it is something. For he knows that it is something. And if it leaves you feeling abandoned, desperate, and losing hope. But when you compare your despair to Jesus, you recognize there's not a feeling or a situation or even a temptation that you can go through that Jesus has not already gone through, that he's not already experienced, and he's been there himself. He walked your pathway already. More than that, he's taken on your greatest burden. He's taken care of sin and judgment for you so that you're not alone, you're truly no longer in despair, no longer headed for hell and facing the wrath of God, for he's provided the way of salvation. Ways in which... We can turn the despair over to Jesus. Our, uh, our prayers continue to be with uh, the folks in Ukraine. And uh, we mentioned before we have some friends who are there. When we were there just a few years ago. And uh, in fact, John West, one of our members, continues to be in, in contact with them. And uh, one of them is named Joseph. And I, I recognize Joseph's voice. Somebody. Because he sounds like Gru in the Minions movie. I don't think, but and so, and when he speaks English, it's not his first language. But uh, and uh, Joseph is Ukrainian. But he sent this message, and let's see if we. I think I've got it where we can listen to it. Hello, brother John. Thank you very much for your uh, encouragement, encouraging words. Thank you very much for keeping us in your prayers and uh, supporting us by all means. Uh, that's really precious and valuable to me personally. And, uh, you know, when you feel lonely and when you feel discouraged, those such words can lift your soul up. And thank you. The Lord is really gracious to us and blessing us abundantly. At this stage, we started to work with uh, humanitarian aid. And by the Lord's grace, we got a hold of a nice van. So soon we'll start to transport um, help, humanitarian help, to other cities of Ukraine. So thank you very much for being with us in this battle. In Jesus' name, may the Lord bless you, brother. Goodbye. 
Joseph is a Ukrainian pastor, and he and his church, even in the midst of the greatest of difficulties, is seeking to be able to help others and still there in Ukraine. Our prayers certainly go out to him as they continue to offer hope and light in a very dark time. These words from the cross remind us we're never alone. We're never abandoned. Jesus has provided the way so that we might have hope and that we might be able to share hope with others. And if you're here today, maybe you're here in this room, maybe listening live stream, you don't know Jesus as your Savior and Lord. There is only one hope for the world. There's only one hope for your life. And that's through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You may happen to be listening today and think, well, you had no idea that uh, you're going to be challenged today to give your heart and life to Jesus. But I want to encourage you today, that if you don't know Christ as your Savior and Lord, that today's the day of salvation. You can ask Christ to forgive you of your sins right now. And you can ask Jesus to be the Savior and Lord of your life. Because of what we read on the cross, we can know. Because of what Jesus endured, we can have life, life eternal, and life with hope and abundancy because of who Christ is. Let's bow together in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we know of your presence in this place. We know that it is evident because we have lifted up praise to your name. We've observed baptism and the example of one being saved. We read your word. You've heard our prayers. And now, Father, may you deal with our hearts. The things that we need to do, Father, that would cause you to love us unconditionally. Father, we could not do anything. We know that we do not deserve. But Father, we thank you for loving us and thank you for what Jesus did for us on the cross as we were reminded once again. And now prepare our hearts to celebrate every day the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Prepare our hearts to leave this place and be ready to fight the good fight uh, with love and forgiveness and kindness. Father, help us to walk the victory that you've already won for us and you've already assured. May that truly be the case as we leave this place today. But now, Father, if there's one that needs to give their heart and life to you, if we as believers, Father, need to draw close to you, may this be the time in which we do that as we continue to come to the altar. We thank you for your presence here with us. It's in Jesus' name we lift these prayers. Amen.